Hi everyone and welcome to KitCast, the podcast made for students by students. Here we promote and share insights on the innovative industries of tomorrow, startups, and their founders. My name is Luthia and I'll be your host today alongside Adele who will introduce herself right after. This program is offered by Warwick Kickstart. You can find more information about us on our social media, which we will put in the description of the podcast. Hi everyone, Adele here. Today we are joined by Graham Hobson, founder of the startup Photobox, for which he assumed CEO and CTO positions. He later took on advisory positions in several startups. So Graham, first of all, thank you for coming on. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so we have a few questions for you today that we would love to hear uh, your answers to. So considering you've had a full and successful career, we would like to focus this, this podcast on more detailed experiences that you've had, um, if that's okay with you. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, to start us off, though, could you give us a quick rundown of your career journey, kind of starting with Photobox and how that all came about? Sure. So um, I guess I'll, I'll go back a little bit further because I uh, I didn't start Photobox until I was 35, which feels really old for an entrepreneur. But actually, that was the average age in when I started the business for an entrepreneur. And I think it's a time in your life when you've you've kind of uh, had some experience and you've made some contacts and you've got some savings and a bit more confidence and you know what you're doing, at, but you're looking up, is this the, the, the job I want to do for the rest of my life or do I want to change something? So I think I was definitely at that point at 35. Just to go back a bit further, I, I studied computer science at uni. I started working for uh, the London Stock Exchange and some investment banks, but always in technology. And that's where I was when when I made the decision to do Photobox. So uh, it it started out as a personal need for me. I had two young kids at the time. I've got three grown up boys now, but um, we took lots of photos of them. And I was always going down to Boots with a roll of film and getting it processed and uh, realizing getting I was getting back uh, lots of poor quality photos where I wasn't a very good photographer. So I thought I'll buy a digital camera be more selective about what I print. And I discovered that there wasn't any print service. You couldn't get digital prints. Um, the only way you could do it was to print them at home, which was really poor quality. So I thought it can't be that hard. You know, I know I know, kind of in my head what I want to do in terms of building a website and a order management system and to have a photo printer. So I put together a, a plan uh, I actually wrote it when I was on the tube into work every day on how I would go about this startup. And to my surprise, a whole bunch of people said, yeah, we'll back you. And so I found myself in early 2000 in a in a kind of rundown shed in Clerkenwell with about half a million quid in the bank and this 12-page uh, plan on what I was supposed to do with it. That's insane. <laughs> That's great. That's such like, it's so nice to hear about, you know, different experiences. And every time we have somebody come on and learn about their story, we're like, it actually happens to people. You know, some people have that one idea and actually get through, you know, to, to realizing it. It's just so inspiring to hear that. Thank you. Um, so we, thank you for, uh, you know, talking about Photobox and how it all started. We were also interested um, to learn about how you ran an internal incubator with the group you work uh, for between 2015 and 2017. So could you give us some insight as to how Photobox was useful for the company and some of the benefits that came from it? Yeah, so so Photobox was 
a long journey before we got to the point of that incubator. Um, there were kind of six very lean years, and then we merged with a French company and started, um, you know, some really, really difficult things to restructure how we did things and improve the technology. And then we started to grow very quickly across Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so effectively between 2006 and 2015 or so, we were, um, you know, market leader in Europe and turning over a, a lot of money and, and a profitable company. So everything looked great. But um, the thing is that you start to run out of growth uh, at some point. You know, you're still, your business is growing, but not nearly at the same levels as when you were smaller. Mm-hmm. And uh your investors are saying well you know what comes next you if you've done so well in your core business what other businesses can you operate um that that uh appeal to to the similar audience and and helps you grow further and a lot of businesses kind of run out of steam at some point um there are a couple of books one's called the innovators dna another one's called crossing the chasm where they talk about this fact that businesses reach this level where they become so comfortable with their business model, they stop innovating. And and we were trying to fight against that. And so uh, at one point, uh, we tried to launch a couple of small brands that were related, I guess, to personalization, um, but not quite the same thing. One was a a business to sell invitations and announcements. So, so things like birth announcements, wedding invitations. And the other one was um, an Instagram-based uh, kind of US-centric brand for millennials, which sounds like an obvious business, right? But at the time that we did it, um, Instagram was really new and nobody had figured out whether people wanted to buy any content that was on Instagram. Um, so we we set up a small incubator. It was basically like pretending to be a startup. It was about 12 people in a separate office uh, with its own little marketing team and own little tech team and own little sales team. And um, and I took that over at some point. And I, I'd love to say that this was a huge success. We certainly learned a lot about what was and wasn't possible. I think both brands were successful and popular but we really suffered from the fact that it cost a lot of money to acquire customers, Instagram customers and kind of wedding planning customers. And at the end of the day, we couldn't make that bus- those businesses profitable because it just cost too much to acquire customers. So we ran them for about two years. Um, in some cases, we built some really cool products, but we kind of reversed those back into the main brand. Some of them went to Photobox, some of them went to Moonpick, which was one of the other businesses we owned. Um, so we we kept the products going that we built in the incubator, but the brands themselves that we started, we shut those down. Mm-hmm. And the good thing was we we moved over nearly all the people as well to to the parent brand, so we didn't oh, <laughs> we didn't lose anybody. <laughs> It's nice to see just the different, you know, levels of innovation and how that's continuing to be part of the the side of the startup even after you, you know, scaled it up and uh, gone uh, and you know bought other companies. So it's great to hear about this. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Um, so now you're more in an advisory role uh, for mm-hmm. startups. So we just wanted to know, like, how does that compare to being in, like a founder in a, in a CEO position? 
um, that's, you know, more stable and now moving from company to company is kind of an outsider. And do you prefer one role over the other? So I'm still deciding, to be honest. In 2017, I I left Photobox. So I left the full-time role and I had a few months off, which I really enjoyed with my family and some traveling and some, you know, personal projects. But I did start to get a bit bored after about four months and kind of naturally gravitated towards helping out some angel investments and early stage startups. And and then one company came along after a few months um, in supply chain tech and they needed a CTO full time. Uh, and it was a bit of a turnaround situation. It was a company that kind of had all, all of the ingredients for success, but wasn't for whatever reason really growing as fast as it should have been. Um, so the investors asked me if I'd step in. So I, I stayed there for just under a couple of years and we tidied up that company and, um, and sold it earlier this year. So it was a good result for the investors and for the founders. Um, so that was fun, but it was actually really stressful. (laughs) It was, it was kind of like all of the stress and drama of Photobox with about, you know, one uh, twentieth of the revenue. So I, <laughs> I, when I left there. I thought it was a good result, but I'm gonna, I'm determined not to jump straight back into a full time role. So I've this year, I've been very methodical about focusing on, uh, on uh, advisory work and non exec work. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I, I really enjoy it. It's, you know, when you when you think about it over the course of a career particularly the journey I've had, you get to accumulate a lot of knowledge and experience and your own company kind of gets sick of hearing from you and you're the way you do things. But when, when you go into other companies, they really appreciate it and you can bring them experience and perspective that they wouldn't have gained themselves. So I have about six clients at the moment. Some of them I spend a day a month with some of them about four days a month. Um, and they're all they're all high growth, uh, either kind of not early stage, but um, seed seed fund stage or Series A stage, or some of them are Series B and C. <clears throat> um, but they're generally companies that have raised typically at least a million pounds in the past. Some of them have raised you know tens of millions, wow. uh, and they've either kind of got to a point where their growth is stalling or they are on this really rapid growth path and they just don't know how to keep up with it. Mm-hmm. And um, and sometimes it's about advising them on how their, um, any disconnect between their technology and their kind of ambition, their, their strategy. Sometimes it could be they've got some really great early people who came in, but they don't have all of the skills necessary. And so it's like right. helping them to train or bring in some extra people that add the missing skills. Um, but just sometimes it helps to have an outsider come and have a look at your business who's been there before and has enough, you know, marketing and finance experience to be dangerous, but but mostly <laughs> focuses on on the business strategy and the technology. Mm-hmm. Can I ask um, what six companies you're working for, uh, for at the minute? I so I probably can't tell you specifically which ones there are, there is one that's uh, a kind of competitor of Photobox but not so much in the consumer space uh, okay. but they do personalized products um there's one that's um well two of them are SaaS businesses so that's they they provide a cloud-based service that helps other retailers do their do their work um 
I'm I'm just trying to think who they all are now. One's in in the fashion space. Um, yeah, so lots lots of different types of businesses. That's super but typically, they're always VC backed. They're always backed by a venture capital yeah. business. Yeah. Thank you. Um, that's obviously both positions sound really interesting, and we I think the point of that question was kind of showing the like diversity of positions that you can have, kind of in disruptive industries that you don't have to be there. You know, at that moment of creating a startup, you can move from one to the other. You can be very diverse. I think. We want to show people and students who maybe want to go or are thinking of going into that kind of industry what they can do with it. And even from the clients you have at the moment, you can see also the diversity of the, you know companies that you have. Yeah, somebody told me uh, that um, I think it's Jack Ma, who's the founder of Alibaba, um, a <laughs> Chinese billionaire. He um, he apparently said that you should kind of respect each phase of your life and pick pick the tasks that are appropriate for that. And in your 20s, you're emerging out of university and you're learning your career. So it's all about learning and growth. And the 30s, uh, when you're in your 30s, it's about um, a time for change. You know, like I said, building on the experience you've got and, and thinking which direction do I want to go in next. Your 40s is really kind of consolidating uh, the growth and experience in your career and your 50s is about giving back and starting to mentor people and train people and uh, I guess 60s is kind of decline <laughs> yeah. get, get ready for retirement but um, so much after but I'm, that. Following, I'm following that plan all right that's, that's a really good plan yeah as long as there's no decline after 60 not at least not after we'll, yeah. we'll can't afford to have a decline after 60 <laughs> nowadays crazy all right we've got to move on or else it's going to be too long but um so yeah i have uh one last question for my part um so obviously when we went looking for kind of questions to ask you we went through your linkedin profile which is uh you know what you do nowadays when you want to look up somebody you go to linkedin yeah me too uh, <laughs> so you you say on your profile that you're a supporter of social impact businesses so what exactly does this mean does this mean to you and is there a message that you want to share with our audience about this and in addition to that, um, for you know some of our listeners who don't yet know what a social impact business is, could you maybe give us an example? Maybe you know a company you've worked with before, or just a company you find you find interesting and uh, impacting. Sure. So, you know, I I've been very lucky in my career. I've had a chance to do work that I've really enjoyed and learned from, and had a good result. And not everybody you know, gets to build their own business and not everybody uh, gets to kind of exit a business and have financial reward from it. So I, I've been incredibly, incredibly privileged. I've I've learned that startups are a kind of process of natural selection and nothing about the journey is guaranteed to produce a, a, a good result. But um, the more you try and the more you learn, you improve your chances. But nevertheless, I got to a good result. And I, I think I've always been a kind of generous person as well. I've learned a lot about serendipity and karma along the way. And the more that you give out, whether it's advice or, or, or assistance or belief in people, the more you get back. And um, so when I had the opportunity to kind of reflect on the Photobox career, I, I started to look at companies that uh, were on a, uh, a social mission that I thought was positive and I could believe in. Um, so I've generally tried to work with 
uh, a few charities and social impact companies. Um, so two examples, really. One is um, there's a social impact company called Beam that I'm a, a board advisor for. Uh, so I'll just explain what a social impact company is. Uh, it's slightly different to a charity. It is a business. Um, it, it has a marketing plan. It has P&L. It has technology costs, all of the things that you would normally associate with a business and a startup. Um, but they, they prioritize social okay. impacts rather than just profitability or revenue. Um, Revenue and profitability are generally part of the model, but they are not the most important outcome. Um, and they attract investors who align with that belief and are, are there to most of all achieve the social impact, but you know, recognize that revenue and profitability are necessary to keep powering the engine of a business. But the shareholder return is not the primary goal. So Beam um, is a company that effectively gets homeless people into employment. Um, it does this through two different paths. One is that um, it runs campaigns for people who have very specialist skill requirements, like maybe they want to be an electrician or a plumber or a hairdresser. And uh, Beam organizes the campaigns that raises the funds from crowdsourcing, um, crowdfunding that gets uh, the these candidates, the, tri the training they need, but also the materials and uh, the tools and things like that. Um, and then they also have a kind of more direct employment model, which is where homeless people who, uh, for example, in the current COVID conditions are really happy to be warehouse workers or delivery drivers or shelf stackers can um, get them through a very rapid training program and into employment. And you know, it's a great mission. It has great social outcomes, both for the people going through the program and for society, because it costs so much for society to deal with homeless people in terms of um, their support, uh, healthcare. Um, you know, the the impact of people not not finding accommodation, um, benefits, all of these things. So to get uh, somebody out of homelessness and into employment is a kind of net gain of tens of thousands of pounds to society. Uh, so they're, they're doing that. They're doing it really well. Their challenge, like most businesses, is how to scale up to really get to hundreds and thousands of successful outcomes. But we're, we're working on that. And then um, personally, uh, my wife works for a food waste charity called uh, The Felix Project that recovers excess food from supermarkets, wholesalers, and, and some restaurant chains and redistributes it. And I work for a spin-off of that uh, a couple of days a week called Refitorio Felix, which um, feeds homeless people and some other charities in uh, West London. So, yeah, it's about kind of living what you believe in. And, uh, uh, and along the way, you discover a lot of things that kind of help your career as well, I think. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. They sound like incredible projects, and uh, and I just I think social impact businesses and shouldn't I think people should be maybe more interested in that because they don't realize the difference between a charity and a social impact business and how much good they can do while still working in a business like you know kind of corporate like structure and uh, and I think a lot of people would enjoy that a lot of people would enjoy giving back if they had the opportunity of working in that kind of structure. Mm. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us and kind of 
uh, giving our audience a bit of insight into, um, you know, a different path that they might choose to go down for their career. So, all right, that's all we have for you today. Um, thank you, Graham, for coming onto our podcast and giving my pleasure insight into your experience within disruptive industries. It's been amazing having you. Um, we'll be happy to welcome Graham for an online event on Thursday, the 29th of October. So make sure to stay tuned to our social media for the event announcement and details. All right. So with the new academic year finally upon us, keep an eye out for our speaker events, new podcasts, and the opportunity to join us by becoming a member. In order to do so, please follow our social media pages at Word Kickstart. If you're a fresher who's just started at Work University and you're interested in joining our executive teams, go check out our Facebook where you'll find the forum to apply to one of our fresher exec positions, whether that be with us, the content team, or with our other brilliant execs. If you want to learn more about Graham, Photobox, and his experience, please visit the links in the description box. And if you want to hear more about current affairs in our industries, you can go to our website, also in the description, to read weekly articles. Thank you for joining us today. And if you're interested in taking part of our podcast, please message our Instagram or Facebook pages privately. We hope you tune in again next time. Thank you.